Come on, one more time. Thank you, Jesus. Aren't you grateful for what he's already done in your heart and your life? Thank you, Lord. This week has been amazing. Go ahead and have a seat. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to start quickly. Is it okay if I preach God's word? Figured Clint has already made everybody laugh. David's made everybody feel loved. I've had lots of provocation. I told David, I said, man, I'm so grateful that we switched because what you don't know is that originally these afternoon sessions, I was going to be first and he was going to be in this session. But because my big brother, Jeremiah, how many of you know Jeremiah Johnson's here with us? Praise the Lord. So grateful. Uh, Jeremiah has uh, just just flown in and uh, it worked where he was able to make it to hear me if I shared. So I appreciate the support of my big brother. How many of you are grateful for good big brothers? How many of you have ever had big brothers like Joseph had? Help us, Lord. Don't be that big brother. So we're in Galatians chapter 1. And I told David, I think it was the wisdom of God that we switched because I'm grateful for the outpouring of the love of God. How many of you know we need the love of God? We are enough in Him. Our adequacy comes from Him. And I see the wisdom of the Lord now and filling us up in that moment because the word that I have is going to cut. And I want you to know that as a warning because I want you to prepare your heart now for what I believe the Lord has to say Not just to you, not just to this conference, but I believe I'm carrying a word for this region. So when I got the call, hey, would you come and share? Which, by the way, if you've been in ministry more than 30 years, would you wave at me? Okay, look look at all the hands waving. Okay, you guys have been in ministry longer than I've been alive. I'm 30 years old, so thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. So it's like, oh man, what what in the world am I even going to share And the Lord gave me a download about fivefold ministry and I was looking forward to teaching on the fivefold ministry on identifying and distinguishing and explaining the fivefold ministry because the body of Christ is so confused. Our revelation of the fivefold ministry is so anemic that if somebody prophesies, they're a prophet. If somebody teaches, they're a teacher. If somebody wins a soul, they're an evangelist. If somebody counsels, there's a pastor, they're a pastor. And if somebody, uh, we actually don't know what apostles are at all. And I guess if you're really old and we have like you win the lottery to be in the 60, 70 year old guy, okay, you're an apostle now because you're really fatherly. How many of you know God wants all of us to be fatherly? He wants us to be warm. He wants us to be affectionate. He's an approachable father and we should be approachable. Amen. But on December the 8th, I had a dream. Would you say I had a dream? And just like Jeremiah, there's great prophetic lineage in our family. And the Lord visited me in a dream. I was actually in Tennessee at the time on my way to minister in Georgia. And on December the 8th, I had a dream. And the Lord visited me in a dream. And I believe the word of the Lord came to me in my dream. And he spoke to me something that I need to share with you. And then he gave me an assignment of some things that I need to go after today. So like I said, prepare your heart because this is going to be like surgery. 
and you have to get ready for surgery. When you go to surgery, you don't just show up and say, I'm ready. Normally they tell you, you can't eat anything for 24 hours. You need to get cleansed of this. You need to get plenty of rest. And then you need to be back at the hospital at 5 a.m. So this is going to feel like that moment where you're getting ready to go to the operating table because there are some things in the body of Christ and what I have witnessed ministering in this region that point blank need to be addressed, but they don't just need to be exposed. They need to be torn down. And I find that there's a great deception upon the spirit-filled charismatic church, which I've grown up in all my life. So this is normal to me. I still can't figure out why speaking in tongues is weird to people. I couldn't actually tell you the day I started praying in tongues. This is just all I know. So I'm grateful for the heritage and for the lineage, but I find that there's this deception in the body of Christ, specifically in the charismatic spirit-filled church, and it's that since you believe in fivefold ministry and speaking in tongues and prophecy, you're not religious, everybody else is. So we look at Baptists and Presbyterians, yeah, I'm going to name them Methodists and Catholics, and they're the religious ones and we're the free ones, but I'm concerned that we've just repackaged some things and we've got our own form of religion, which denies the power of God. It has a form of godliness. It looks good on the outside because we focus on externals and what you wear and how you do your hair and whether or not you have a beard, and God does doesn't care about any of that. He's looking at the heart of the matter. He's looking into where are you really at here? How are you doing with me? But for some of us, when you got saved, you came into the kingdom, but really, I don't know that you came into the kingdom. I think you came into the church. See, because religion says this is how we've always done it. And there are people that are resistant to the Spirit of God and to what He wants to do and to how the Lord Jesus Himself wants to build His church. But we resist God because we don't think it's God because we think what we're doing is God and He's not actually in it. We need to begin to wrestle right now, three minutes in, with this reality. Just because you name the name of Jesus and just because you sing to Him doesn't mean He's actually there. Just because there's a lot of people in the room and there's a lot of money in the offerings doesn't mean that Jesus is there. Turn with me, Galatians 1, before I get all riled up and don't even preach this message. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Okay, we just dealt with all the wannabe apostles right there in one verse. Not sent from men nor through the agency of man. So you could get a hundred people gathering together and laying hands and commissioning an apostle, but unless they're an apostle by the will of God... Just because somebody laid hands on you and ordained you for ministry doesn't mean the Holy Ghost is with you. They might actually just 
be setting you up to regurgitate what they stuffed inside of you so that your ministry is where you just keep vomiting out stuff you heard somebody else say. You just pastor as you've seen other people pastor. You just attend church because that's just what we do. And we've got to start asking the question, where did you learn what church is? I mean, who in the world said that a church service looks like this? Three worship songs, preaching, offering and announcements in the middle. And if God's really moving, there's an altar call. Now, please hear my heart. I'm a church planter. I love the body of Christ. We're just getting started planting churches and winning souls and changing regions. So I want you to hear me not just as a critic, but as a reformer. But here's what I've had to make peace with. The call for reformation in the body of Christ is going to come with a lot of hatred and a lot of misunderstanding. We all praise Martin Luther. Thank God for the reformation. But really, if we were alive in Martin Luther's day, we all would have hated him. We look at the Pope like he's the bad guy and oh, how could you not want the Bible translated into languages that people could read? But really, I think that we're interested in some ways in keeping the Holy Ghost out of our churches. I'm going to show you how in just a minute. Verse 2. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Please just note one thing, that Jesus came to rescue us from our sins and from this present evil age. Please do not tell me about a Jesus where you meet him and nothing changes. Please do not suffer people talking about having an encounter with God and really there's no fruit. I'm in incredibly grateful for the powerful altar call that just happened and I think maybe we interrupted it too early but these fresh tears on this stage don't mean anything if something in your life doesn't change what if we measured success by transformation rather than attendance Rather than offering, what if it was really about how many disciples do you have with you? See, the church is called to actually disciple people in such a way that if a gunman, God forbid, were to come in here and say, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a believer in the way, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and God raised him on the third day, stand in this line and I'm going to mow you all down. And by the way, he already killed the security guys first. I appreciate you, by the way. But we're all about to die. And the goal of discipleship would be that everybody says, yes, Lord, I'm about to be a martyr. And the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So if God wants to take my life today and use it as a witness and a testimony that a bunch of redneck revival hillbillies in Kentucky gathered together and said, I'll die for Jesus Christ. Take my life if it honors him that nobody would run out the door if they gave you a chance. That's what real discipleship is. See, even in the Middle East, before they baptize you in water, they ask you if you're willing to suffer and even die for the name of Jesus. 
And if you can't answer that question sincerely, yes, you're not getting dunked because you're not ready. But you know what we do? How many people want to be baptized for salvation? Oh, we'll get as many as we can to pad the numbers. We won't ask you the hard questions. Oh, we'll baptize a boyfriend and a girlfriend living together in sexual immorality because we need more baptisms on the roster and we need to say on Facebook, look how many people got saved at my church. Because it's meeting a need inside of us rather than pleasing God. We'll get there. Let's keep reading. Are you ready for surgery yet? Because the anesthesia is coming. Breathe deep and count backwards from 10. Verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Hang on one moment. Anybody that tells you that the grace of God is anything other than the power of God to enable you to say no to sin and yes to him is a liar and full of devils and you tell them to shut up and you don't invite them to speak in your churches and even if it's your mother-in-law you say mama I love you but you're wrong because Romans 6 says how shall we continue in sin that grace may abound may it never be so so much for claiming I'm under grace I'm under grace I'm under grace when really you're under delusion and deception because the grace of God is so holy, so wonderful, so amazing that it takes you and transforms you and it makes you a totally different person. That's grace. We ought to celebrate grace. But Paul says, I'm amazed. And this isn't a good amazement. Wouldn't you like the Apostle Paul to show up in your church and say, guys, I'm amazed. And we're expecting him to say, oh, he's amazed. We amazed the Apostle Paul. He's going to say, there's a lot of people here. No, I'm amazed. You guys have a lot of money and a great production. Start counting backwards now. It's only going to get worse. For a different gospel. There's a different gospel. People are preaching a different gospel. People are living a different gospel. People are serving another Jesus, and it's not Jesus the Christ. It's not Jesus the Messiah. Which really is not another, only there are some who are disturbing you, and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. This confounded me when I began in ministry 10 years ago. But I started meeting people that actually had a motive and an agenda to distort the gospel of Jesus. Like nobody gave us permission to go to the book and say, I don't like that part. You don't like that part because something in you needs to change. But rather than changing here, we just try to change what's here. But this is infallible. This is inspired. This is the verbally and plenarily inspired word of God breathed out of the mouth of the Holy Ghost. And if you don't like it, you're wrong. 
How many people from my Bible college that went off to be, uh, they were going to be pastors and leaders and change the world. Here we are 10, 12, 15 years later and not only are they not in ministry and not pastors, they're not even Christians because they deconstructed and for most of them it started with, well the Bible's not really inspired. Because the enemy will come and he wants you to question the authority of Scripture. Why? Because when you're under the spirit of the age, you'll do anything but submit your life to the Word of God. Oh, anything to get out of submission to something I don't want to do. Here's a hint for you. Submission is just a word until you have to do something you don't want to do. Oh, I'm submitted to Christ. Prove it. If the only thing you hear is stuff you want to do, you're not listening to God. How many of you want to hear, take up your cross and follow me? We like to hear, take up your pillow and your blanket. We like to follow a God that allows us to feel sorry for ourselves when actually God crucified victimhood in us and raised us as victors with him so that what God has done in your life is bigger than anything that's ever happened to you. Where you're not defined by who sinned against you or what happened to you or even the poor choices you make. God's got grace and mercy for all of that. Hallelujah. But even if we, verse 8, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we've preached to you, he is to be accursed. Oh, that, how nice of you, Paul. That's mean. Uh, that, that's mean words and mean language that hurts my feelings. That can't be love. This is inspired by the Holy Ghost. Let him be accursed. If you don't think that Jesus is the son of God and you want to preach another Jesus and another gospel and you want to distort the gospel and pervert the sacred doctrines of the word of God, let you be accursed, says the word of God. We need a bigger backbone. We have way too much wishbone. As we have said before, verse 9, Galatians 1, if you just woke up. As we have said before, so I say again now. If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. So in case you missed it the first time, hear it again. Let him be accursed. Let him be anathema, not let him be blessed, not let him be tolerated. Do you know that we are drunk on love that's actually tolerance? Oh, I'll prove it to you. If you take truth out of love, you're left with love that's not love. You're left with tolerance. You're left with the kind of gospel that tells you you just have to put up with all the sin and all the nonsense and you just need to prove that you're a Christian by how you live. You don't have to say anything. You just have to live it. Well, newsflash, Jesus came to earth and demonstrated the Father and he talked a lot. He spoke up a lot. He had stuff to say. So you're going to have to do more than just live it. But here's the deal. If you're going to talk about it, make sure you're living it. We don't need any more hypocrites in the body of Christ. 
We don't need any more people preaching to other people in bars and they're drunk themselves. Oh, I'm here for outreach ministry. No, I think you're here drinking to, I don't know, remember or forget. Which one? Verse 10. You ready to go up another level? For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? It's a question. Pastors, ministers, leaders, are you seeking the favor of God or the favor of men? We like to create a false idea that we can pursue both. That we really, we're trying to please God by pleasing people. Three of us. Or am I striving to please men? Hold on one second. When you are living a life or when you're in ministry and it's all about pleasing people, the only equation is you are striving. I fear for people that think ministry is about making people happy. We have seminaries and Bible colleges where we're training people that church is about people. I wish that I could show up in every church all over the world and have one sentence to say, it's not about you. It's about Him. We're here for Him. But because we all like to get our needs met, we want to be first. And what we've done is we've created a gospel where we've started pleasing people and we've started putting the needs of people above pleasing and meeting the desires of God. This is the bedrock of religious tradition. Tradition itself isn't inherently bad, but it is the bedrock of deadly deception. Where we say, this is how we've always done it. Well, this is what they did. I know I can't really back that up in the scriptures, but we're going to keep practicing it. We're going to keep governing our church that way. We're going to keep ordering our services that way. We don't have any chapter and verse, but by God, granddaddy did it. Why? Because we're really striving to please men. We're really trying to make people happy. And if you're not happy, I'm not happy when we've missed the holiness and the righteousness of God. God wants His house back. And we are living in an hour where Jesus is coming with eyes of flame of fire and He is taking back His church and it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be really messy. But Jesus is here and He wants what He paid for and He shed His blood for everybody in this room. But you know what we've done? We've kicked God out of His own house. Can you imagine if you came home on your birthday and you got out of your car in your driveway and let's say you heard the sound of people singing. Stick with me. What is this singing I hear? And you got closer and you got towards the front door of your house and you looked in the window and you saw some colorful balloons and you saw a lot of people in there standing around. And they were singing, happy birthday to you. Somebody help me. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear, whoever we're singing to. 
and you open the door and it's your birthday, but you're not at your own birthday party. People are singing about you. People are happy you exist, but you're not actually in the room. But oh, we're here for you. We've done all this stuff. We've got gifts for you. But actually somebody else went and opened them because they really weren't for you. They were for us. God, I bought some stuff for you. I did some stuff for you. But really I did it for me. And isn't it funny how being rich is a bad thing until you have a building fund and you need a lot of money and now we treat all the wealthy people with kindness and phone calls and dinners so that once you can get your big property built, you can move on to building your kingdom. Who knew that my first pastors and leaders conference would be my last? Glory to God. <laughs> Don't miss what's left here. Am I striving to please men? Last sentence. If I were still striving to please men, say it with me, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Let the weight of this statement breathed out of the mouth of God become an anchor in your soul and in your ministry. If you are trying to please people, you are not a servant of Christ. Because how many of you know that what God wants and what people want are polar opposites? Can we have a moment of honesty today? We don't want to live holy. We don't want to live humbly. We don't want to live in quietness and submission. We want to live proud, arrogant, self-fulfilling lives without Jesus. Few people willing to be honest. Thank you so much. But what God wants is a holy church. What God wants is a people doing His will. What God wants is a people honoring and worshiping His Son. But you know how we miss Jesus completely? Making it all about people. Oh, the people don't like the color of the chairs. Well, close your eyes. It's worship. Oh, we should take communion once a month. No, we should take communion every week. No, we should never take communion. We should only do it in a private back room somewhere. Wah, wah, wah. And if you don't have enough conviction and you don't have enough direction from the Lord, you end up thinking that you're in ministry, but really you're in man-pleasing. You know, there's a whole host of preachers and churches that there's an entire table of contents in the Word of God that you will never, ever hear them preach. Oh, they're not going to talk about it. They're not going to go there. Why? Because I, what I found out is you start preaching the Word of God and it doesn't necessarily gather, it actually scatters. And I'm grateful for the many strategies that God has given me through our church planting journey to thin the crowds. 
But when you're influenced by American religious tradition, you think it's all about growing your church because you measure success by how many people are there and not by how many real disciples are getting their lives changed. So when people start leaving, we start backing off. Can I tell you a crazy story real fast? And you're going to judge me for it and it's fine, but I'll stand before the Lord having obeyed Him. In the summer of 2022, our church was experiencing explosive growth. We were busting at the seams. It was an amazing time. People's lives and their families were being touched. Guys, our ministry is not the mamby-pamby gummy bear gospel. We try to do the real thing. But we were getting overwhelmed by how many people were coming in and the place was swelling and we didn't know whose was who and what was happening and there was just this massive gathering and it was beginning to crack the foundation of our ministry because it was overloading the church are y'all here pastors and leaders can you identify and the Lord speaks to me and says I want to reset this church and I want you to take three weeks off and have no meetings Now that may not be what God's telling you to do, but can I encourage you that one of the main ways that we don't hear God is because we've determined what he's already going to say. So the thought of not meeting, well, that's not even on the table because, well, you know, Hebrews 10.25 says, do not forsake the gathering together or some's in the habit of doing it. And we're addicted to church, not real fellowship. Because it's meeting a need in us. Well, God begins to challenge my paradigm and break my box where the Lord says, I want to reset the church. And I don't want you to meet for three weeks. And I'm saying, okay, Lord, the church is yours. We're going to obey you. In October of 2022, we did what we called the reset. And we did not meet for three weeks. We said, hey, we're not suspending Christian fellowship. We're not telling you that you can't be in fellowship with the body of Christ. But we're just simply telling you that we're not going to do it for you. You need to go find out who God is for yourself. And oh, by the way, if you're really for us and you believe in what God is doing here, then we want you to come back. But this would be a great time for those of you that don't have that conviction to go ahead and go on down the road because we're trying to build something here see our problem is that we have gatherings we don't have real spiritual buildings we get a bunch of stones heaped together in a field but we don't actually take them and construct them and build them in divine order where we have something that can stand the tests and the storms of life I'm pretty sure that COVID-19 exposed that there's a whole bunch of churches that aren't built on Christ. They're built on pleasing people. And when people don't want to do something or people are scared, my God, we missed our opportunity. A.W. Tozer says that a scared world needs a fearless church. But you know what a scared world found? An even more fearful church. And everybody amens me now, but I wasn't popular in 2020. I remember saying 2020, the year where the church cared more about spreading germs than spreading the gospel. You can amen me now, but it wasn't pretty. So we reset the church. We told people, hey, pray fast. Seek the Lord. I was amazed. I'll tell you the truth. We shrunk dramatically. 
Our finances were cut by 50% like that. We went from a commanding a budget that was this size to this size in a month. Oh, it's not about people and it's not about numbers until a lot less people are here and a lot less money's in the offering. Oh, Lord, we're obeying you. We're doing what you wanted us to do. What I thought was that the weakest parts of our church, the weakest members of our body, were going to struggle and get picked off. You know what happened? They gained steam and they gained strength. And they came to us and said, I'm experiencing God in ways I never have before. We had fathers get up and say, God visited me in a dream and I want to repent publicly to this church for not being the husband and the father that God wants me to be. And this reset has completely changed my life. And there was testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of people saying, this reset has forever altered the trajectory of my walk with Jesus. But the crowds weren't there anymore. And the extra chairs that we had lining the back walls were gone. And we were wondering, oh God, how are we going to pay our staff? These are real problems. These are real issues. But you know what? It takes courage to please God. Maybe the reset isn't for you. Maybe it's a Holy Ghost idea for some of y'all. I don't know. I'll let you figure it out. It's not my stewardship. It's yours. But I find that there's a box of possibilities that we set before the Lord. And we say, Lord, here's what you can do and only you can do. And we don't even realize how much we have contained him. And we have measured him by our own unbelief and fear. Because we're preaching a gospel of salvation rather than the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom calls you to work. It calls you to fight. It calls you to stand. It calls you to take and find your place. But the gospel of salvation says, hey, you're saved. Praise God. We dunked you. We've got a nice picture of it and a flyer. And now, shut up and tithe. Well, we'll call you if you're not there three or four weeks in a row. We don't really care about your soul. We're we're not going to have a private and loving conversation about the alcohol we smelled on your breath. Because we're trying to please people. We're not trying to please God. Love will never tell you not to say something. Love will always show you how and when. You might need to wait. You might not be ready, but I promise you that the love of God active in your life is never going to lead you to overlook sin in someone else's life and certainly not in your own. How many people think, wow, I'm so loved by God that the sin in my life doesn't matter? Because it's another gospel. It's a different Jesus. God is calling us higher. He's calling us onward. But here's the deal. It's not by your own strength. It's by His strength. It's by His power that works within you. All you got to do is submit and surrender, yield and die. 
But we do a lot of trying, a lot of planning, a lot of scheming, a lot of budgeting. I mean, what if God wanted to do something that was outside of your budget? I'm talking about your personal budget. I'm talking about giving until it hurts. If you've been in the kingdom for 10 or 20 years and you are still writing a check down to the umpteenth 10%, you need to grow up and graduate into grace and giving and blessing and generosity. So we go through the reset. I'll just tell the story, I guess, in 2022. And God begins to sift and begins to clear. But you know what? There was a hungry remnant that came back and said, let's build the church of Jesus no matter what it costs. So then we find ourselves on Super Bowl Sunday of 2023 in February. And I'm telling you that we've experienced presence and we've experienced power. But this meeting was different. It was a one of a kind. There's no way to fabricate it and by the way there's no way to formulate it because we're always looking for a formula for God right we're always looking for a way that says listen if you want a formula other than prayer and fasting and repentance forget about it we're always looking for a way how do we get God to come with a minimal sacrifice well your heart is completely wrong how do I get as much of God by giving him as little as possible but this is what we do I'll get to the budget in just a second. Remind me, okay? But February 2023, the Lord, the weighty presence of God fills our prayer meeting on Sunday morning. And I watched for the next four hours. I'm not exaggerating. God doesn't need us to lie or hype him up. For the next four hours, I watched... Grown adults weep and cry and sob and wail. And you know what they were all doing? Coming up front and asking for the microphone so that they could publicly repent of their sins. Y'all, it was beautiful in the sight of God, but it was ugly. It was cringy. It was nasty. I'm talking about people grabbing the microphone and saying, hey, I need to repent to you. I've been bitter. I've been angry. I've been hurt. I've been offended with you. And it wasn't since last week. It's been for 20 years. But all of a sudden, families started reconciling. Fathers started turning to children and children to fathers. Who's that sound like? Families got stronger. Marriages got healthier. And people kept repenting and kept repenting and kept repenting. And it's like, we didn't have a discernible start to our service. We didn't, oh my, if you were me, I promise you, at least I hope by God, I hope that you wouldn't have said, well, it's 10 o'clock. How many of you know this is killing the move of God? What time is it? It's time for God to take back his church. What time does church end? When God says it does. If you need to go, God bless you. If you love your NFL kickoff at 1 p.m. more than you do, Jesus, have a great day. May God reveal himself to you. Don't get me started on multiple services and herding in cattle rather than shepherding sheep. 
popcorn and pajamas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All of our services are 55 minutes. Here's our little baby box for you to move, God. And people come and clap and dance and still live in sin. And the church remains a whore rather than a true bride. This is the hour of reformation. What you're feeling is the reform of the Spirit of God saying things have got to change. What you've built doesn't have my name. It certainly doesn't have my presence. And you won't have my glory until you have order because glory follows order. They built the house according to the pattern and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. But you got to build it God's way if you want God to show up. Because he only blesses what he builds. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. Let's keep going. You're right in the middle of the operation. You're doing good. Just lay there and don't get too loud. Jesus is the great physician. That means surgery is a part of what he does. If you had cancer, don't you want somebody to cut it out of you? But what if your cancer is your pet? What if your cancer is the way you do church? Oh, it's, I'm telling you, it's, it's going to get rough. Second Timothy 1. I was talking about budgets and God moving, wasn't I? Something like that. So God begins to blow our church up in February. And I don't mean thousands of people showed up. I mean the weighty presence of God in a way that changed my life. You guys were there. I'm talking about people holding their babies at two in the morning. Nobody wanted to go home. You can't fabricate that. You can't manipulate that. What if we started planning for when he shows up, not if he shows up? The modern construct of church is for if God shows up. And we hope he shows up. But if he doesn't, we have a performance and a production ready. So the budget. God says, get out the checkbook. Start giving it all away. Y'all, we're we're a church plant, okay? Let me help you. You guys that have the multi-million dollar budgets, praise the Lord. I'm sure you live under a pressure that I hope I never know. But what we do have, we have to give an account for. And we have to steward the finances in our own lives and in the house of God well. And by the way, to be generous with church finances and stingy with your own finances is sin. Be generous. Let how you lead and steward the finances of your house be a reflection of your own life and your own heart. If you're raising money for something, you give first. God says, get the checkbook out. We start writing checks. 
we start giving away a lot of money, at least for us. I think by the time it was all over, I think we had given away like $75,000 in about a week or two. It was wild. And again, for us, that, I mean, that's, that's like, here it is, Lord. The, the church is yours. All, all the people left, now all the money went. <laughs> By the end of February, we had more than $100,000 come in. God knew what we were doing. We didn't really know what we were doing. We were just trying to follow Him and obey Him. 2 Timothy 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, imagine that, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Timothy was an apostle, not a pastor. Titus was an apostle, not a pastor. It's quiet in here. I, because tradition taught you that these are the pastoral letters and they're the apostolic letters. They're Paul an apostle giving apostolic commands to his apostolic sons. Pastors don't lay hands on elders. Pastors are elders. Apostles lay hands on elders. Read Acts again with a fresh mindset. To Timothy, my beloved son, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience... And by the way, the word of God explicitly says Timothy's an apostle. It's not my opinion. Whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. This is a beautiful picture of spiritual fatherhood. True spiritual fathers long to see their spiritual sons. They have tears and joy in their hearts. There's real love and connection. Just because you have a big network and a bunch of people on a computer screen once a month doesn't mean you're fathering them. I'm just going to try to kill all the sacred cows I can because I might not get another chance. Join join my network, I'll father you. We'll have a phone call once a year. What are your kids' names again? Been married seven years, right? No, 12. Verse 5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Now hold on just a minute. It is an incredible privilege to grow up in the faith. The reason why Jeremiah and I can make the impacts that we do in our 30s is because we're not new to this. We were trained, we were raised, we were fathered. We had fathers rebuking us and correcting us and helping us. And oh, by the way, we still do. I don't know how many conversations I've had with fathers in my life that said, Paul, that was a really stupid thing you said. That was a dumb idea that you tried to walk out. 
That was a dream that you misinterpreted. You moved too hastily. You weren't patient. You didn't wait on God. And you know what I never said? Oh, you didn't correct me correctly. Ooh, what is this thing where it's like, if you're going to correct me, you got to butter me up and hug me and hold me and kiss me and just whisper a little bit of it in my ear because I might get offended and hurt and call the wambulance. Really, we need to grow up, get over it, learn to love the truth. No matter what package it comes in, it might hurt a little bit, but you'll grow up a whole lot faster. And believe it or not, I'm trying hard to be loving. Like, I really love you. I really love the church. If I didn't, I'd be at home. It's a blessing to have a heritage of faith. Those of you that are first generation Christians, wave at me. You're the first generation. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You have an opportunity to break the curse. You have an opportunity to break the cycle. You have an opportunity where you don't have to repeat the dysfunction of your family. Christ is in charge. He's in control. What he says goes. Just because somebody in your house was an alcoholic, well, you really got no business being around that stuff anyway, right? Give to your children what you never had. Do for them what you always wanted done. You don't know how to father? Well, be a father like God. Maybe be a father like your father never was to you, but you always wanted him to be. Our dad has a knife wound, a scar underneath his chest where his father stabbed him. Our dad never stabbed us. Wow, father of the year. High standards, Paul. (laughs) Now, Jeremiah and I got saved on the same night. We got saved on the same night. It was December 10th, 1970. Now, I know he looks a lot older than me. Like a lot. But he was born after 1970 and so was I. That was the night that our dad got saved. That was the night that Joe Johnson ran down to the front of the church when evangelist Freddie Gage was preaching and he heard the gospel and he came forth and he gave his life to the Lord. And because he gave his life to the Lord, we were raised in the house of God and we were raised to love and know Jesus and we spent our winters shoveling snow in the church parking lot and raking widow's leaves and learning to love the church of Jesus. But more than anything, we learned to love the king himself. I'm telling you, nobody ever told us it was weird to speak in front of people. Nobody ever said to us when we were eight years old and we had a vision or a dream or a poem that we wrote that we were supposed to get nervous and start shaking. We just did it and we just said, hey, this is what God is speaking to me and this is what the gathering of the saints is about. It's about his presence. It's not about having a service. Verse 6, for this reason, for what reason? For the heritage that you have, for the lineage that you have. For that reason, I remind you, kindle afresh or fan into flame or bring into full expression. 
the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Some of you need to kindle afresh the gift of God that's within you. Some of you need to fan into flame. My God, there's some dormancy in this room that you need to get activated and engaged. You need to stop sitting down and start standing up. You need to stop shutting up and start speaking up. You need to get your voice and your choice back. You need to stop listening to fear and intimidation. And you need to wake up and speak up and proclaim the goodness of God. This is your hour. This is your time you don't need permission from somebody else to be a Christian you burn for Jesus kindle afresh that gift see but you know what we do we want somebody else to kindle afresh our gift we want to get in another prayer line and go to another conference and drive to another state hoping that something will change when really it starts with self-discipline and sacrifice in private where if you're miserable, maybe you ought to make some different choices. Like maybe what we have is not working. Maybe what we're doing as a church isn't really changing our nation. Maybe we're under a great deception and an end time delusion that our cute services are going to stand up against the tidal wave of the spirit of the age that has people so confused right now that they can't even figure out what a man or a woman is. There's 58 genders. We can beat all that stuff up, but you know what transgender people need? They need love. They need a a family to be a part of. They don't need you to cuss them out in a parking lot. That's not Christ. They need a hug and they need the truth. You're a man. You're a woman. God's given you a purpose and a destiny. He's put breath in your lungs for you to fulfill your God-given mission. But when man disconnects, when woman disconnects from her or his divine purpose, we get lost and we end up looking for fulfillment within ourselves. And we actually think that life is all about us. And we've taken that influence and like a Trojan horse, it's come into the church. And if you take my church away from me, if you take my favorite worship songs away from me, if you take my favorite preachers away from me, if you take away everything happening in the service exactly as I want it to happen, exactly as I'm used to it happening, oh, I'm going to get mad and I'm going to take my ball and go home. Kindle afresh the gift of God. God is kindling afresh His church. Amen. Verse 7. For God has not. Would you say not? I pay attention when God said he hasn't done something. I pay attention when the word of God says, you don't have this. What don't I have? What has God not given us? A spirit of fear. Some of your Bibles may say timidity. That thing in you that that is... Fearful, nervous, that has to think about everything you say all the time and really you just remain silent. And we call it love, oh, but it's cowardice. 
Because we have catered to not offending people and called it church. But really, we've offended God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and discipline or a sound mind. Have you ever wondered why those three words appear like that in that order? Have you, why, why, why is the mind of God going there? You've not been given a spirit of fear, but what you have been given is one of power and love and a sound mind. You've got sound judgment. Here's the reason why. Because when you are influenced by the spirit of fear and timidity, you lack love. Why? Because fear makes you selfish. Fear makes you think about you and me. You know what? When you get under the spirit of fear, when you talk, you think, how do I sound? Preacher's remorse is a mix of shame and fear where we regret obeying God. If you got up there and you said everything that God wanted you to say and you were faithful and you were obedient, don't waste time regretting it. You just go shut your brain off and have some sweet tea and kick your legs up on Sunday afternoon and enjoy your kids. Why? God's not giving you a spirit of fear. He's giving you one of love. But when you're in fear, you lack love. You're loveless. But you're also powerless. Because you become a prisoner of that spirit. I'm telling you that God visited me in a dream on December 8th. And he shifted my whole message. I was going to do five-fold ministry. And I was going to talk about apostles in the earth. And God restoring that to the church. And God visited me in a dream on December 8th. You thought I forgot. I didn't. I'm going somewhere. And I was in Tennessee and God visited me. And the word of the Lord came to me. And he said, I am building Kentucky Kingdom. Now God is my witness. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I did not know that there was a Kentucky Kingdom theme park in Lexington, Louisville. Praise the Lord. If you've been there, repent. No, I'm kidding. I don't care. Let's go have fun. Let's ride roller coasters. Somebody buy me some popcorn. I'll start my New Year's resolutions next year. But the Lord visited me and he started talking to me about Kentucky Kingdom. If you're from Kentucky, would you stand to your feet? If you're a part of a church in Kentucky, if you minister in Kentucky, if Kentucky is your home, stand up. The Lord said to me, I am wanting to build Kentucky kingdom. He said to me, what man built for entertainment, I will build through equipping my saints. But the fear of man is crippling the construction of Kentucky kingdom. Jesus is wanting to build and establish his kingdom in Kentucky. He's wanting to do some things that are outside of your boxes, that are going to blow away your denominational loyalties. He's going to begin to shift things in the earth. But the fear of man has to go back to hell where it came from. 
I charge you this day by the judge of the living and the dead to eradicate the fear of man and repent for serving another master and pleasing men when he wants all of you to please God. Have a seat, please. Oh God, would you build Kentucky kingdom? But the fear of man is standing in the way. In order to be fully obedient, I need to address pastors and leaders. And I do this with as much love and humility as I know how to do. If you hear me as a young idiot, well, you're partially right. I'm an idiot. And I'm young. But I believe the Lord has put me up to this because I had other plans. But I'm not going to walk out of this conference having disobeyed the Lord. God wanted me to address the way that we quench and we grieve His Holy Spirit through the organization of our church services and through the way that we have structured and governed our churches. The way that we have established and set up hierarchies of man when the wisdom of God in the Word of God can't actually back up what we've built. We need to look again at church government, brothers and sisters. We need to look again at what God has authorized in His church for the building of His kingdom. But the order of service is killing us. Let me read you a quote by Francis Frangipan so that you can hate him too. You know that you just read a quote so that they can take the heat for something you really wanted to say, right? When preachers get up there and they have six quotes, I'm like, bro, just say it. Just just tell us what God's told you to say. You don't have to hide behind quotes and 15 scriptures. Just be bold. What if the Holy Spirit, Francis Frangipan, what if the Holy Spirit desired to actually manifest himself during our worship service? Would the Lord have to wait until we finished our scheduled programs. I respect and recognize the need for order. I do too. We need times for announcements and the predefined purposes that typically occupy Sunday mornings. These things are legitimate. But have we made room for God himself? I want to ask you a question. Have you made room for God himself? Seriously, sincerely, have you made room for God in your meetings? I sense a hunger. I see a desire for God to move. Y'all, last night's meeting was incredible, was it not? The way that God has graced Todd Smith to steward the weight of God and the presence of God, I feel like I learn something every time. It's incredible. He walks in a humility and a holiness. That stuff doesn't happen by accident. You have to cultivate that. I sense a hunger, but I also sense an ignorance. How do we steward the presence of God? So God shows up and he begins to manifest his presence and we're all happy about it, yes? Are you here for the presence of God? Do you want more of the Holy Ghost? Oh, I need a bigger amen than that. Are you awake today? But what begins to happen is there starts a tension and a wrestle 
of what do we do with everything we've planned? And I'm here today to give you permission to just crumple it up and get rid of it and host the Holy Ghost. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's after. God, whatever it takes to host you, whatever we have to do to please you, whatever we have to do, whatever needs to go, whatever has to be repented of, y'all, I'm, I'm all for meeting and having a time, but when you've already determined that this is how it's going to go, and then it goes that way every single time for 52 weeks a year, God's not in charge of your church, you are. I mean, what if the whole point of why we showed up was actually to pray? What if Sunday morning was the prayer meeting? You're tired of people won't come to prayer. Well, just start prayer again at 10. Hey, some of us have been praying since 9. We're going to keep praying. Some of you have been running from God and you don't need another sermon. You need to get reconnected to your father. And you can only drink coffee in the lobby for so long. Come on in, we're still praying. God wants to restore the tabernacle of David, Amos 9.11 says. And then it's repeated in Acts 15. The tabernacle of David was 24-7 worship. He had prophetic musicians and singers that, you know what they did? They ministered to the Lord. You know what we do? We minister to you. We sing songs in the third person about God rather than to God. Like, I love how he loves us. Great song, right? At first you're like, who's Howie? Howie loves us? I just ruined it for you. It's okay. That was 15 years past. You'll be all right. How he loves us. He loves us, right? That's third person. We're singing about what God does for us when really we need to be worshiping him, honoring him, glorifying him. The four living creatures aren't saying how he loves us. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Because they're obsessed with the presence and the glory of God. And he's wanting to build his church, but it's not going to come through entertaining people. It's not going to come from more laser light shows and more productions and more... Listen, in the church of Jesus, we don't need more polish. We need more presence. We need real anointing, real power, real authority to cast out devils. Because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and expecting a different result. No, COVID 2020 was our wake-up call. God categorically said this church is not essential. You can still abort your baby. 
You can still go to the liquor store. But your worship is meaningless anyway. Just stay home. Oh, y'all going to watch it in your pajamas anyway? Oh, wow. I love online church. I'm so comfortable. We're so comfortable that the comforter can't even comfort us. It's going to require you to get uncomfortable. You're going to have some awkward moments. You're going to have some moments where you don't know what to do. But you know what? So long as he's in the room, he knows. Jesus didn't say where two or three songs are sung in my midst. There I am. He said, no, I just need two or three that gather in my name. I'm here in your name. And I want you to establish who you are. Reveal yourself to me. Blow up my boxes. You have an opportunity in 2024 to do church differently. You have an opportunity given to you by God through the grace of another calendar year to say, you know what? We're going to host the Holy Ghost. We've been hosting people. We've been trying to make it about people, but we're going to make it about God. And then we're going to see people actually saved, healed, delivered, and set free in the presence of God, not just in our little church service. I'm telling you, be a reformer, not a critic. The critics are a dime a dozen. Oh, the church sucks. Oh, they're doing it wrong. Oh, you know how many professional pastors we have that have no ministry experience, that have no idea how hard it is to actually serve the Lord in that capacity and carry the weight Be more than a critic. Be a reformer. The difference is reformers are in the game. Reformers are builders. Reformers say, you know what? I know we're not where we need to be, but I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to get behind this thing, and I'm going to push, and I'm going to push, and I'm going to push, and I'm going to show up for prayer, and I'm going to worship with all my heart, and I'm going to witness to all my friends and all my family until Jesus comes back. Because I'm not ashamed of him, so he won't be ashamed of me. I mean, God forbid that the words weren't on the screen. Oh, I watched y'all struggle. We started to have some prophetic worship. We started to have the song of the Lord and the rhema word of the Lord come forth. And everybody was like, what are they doing? What if we're supposed to be singing and praising and making melody in our hearts? If the words aren't on the screen and you don't know them, sing in tongues. If you don't have a tongue language, get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Why? Because you find out who really knows God, who's really worshiping and engaging him. I mean, the, the, the lull in between songs isn't for you to check your Facebook. It's for you to repent for every distraction in your life and for idolatry. Can we be honest? The word of God says... 
What is the result then when you gather together? Does not some have a a song, a hymn, a spiritual song, a tongue, a teaching, a revelation, an interpretation? Y'all, we don't have time for any of that. I asked somebody one time about their church. I was trying to encourage them. I said, if you felt like God put a word from the Lord on your heart that was 30 seconds long, do you believe that you could address your church and bring the word of the Lord? They said, no way, I'm not a pastor. Why? Because religion separates the clergy and the laity. Religion says I'm up here and I'm on a stage and I got a badge and a degree and your job is to make sure that I can keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Oh, but the kingdom of God says no. You have a role. You have a lane. You have an assignment. You make a difference everywhere you go because we're getting equipped. We're not being entertained. But this kind of stuff in this environment, let me tell you, it's really rude to people that want the church to be a lily pad when it's actually a launching pad. I mean, people come into our church and they're like ready to just like, I'm here. First song, second song, third song. Hope the message is good. Oh, cool shoes from the person doing announcements. And we come in and we're like, Oh, the presence and the power of God. And people are getting delivered and saved and healed. And people are manifesting demons. But we're not leaving them. We're delivering them. Do you know what a drug addict needs? Oh, they don't need something cute. They don't need something pre-rehearsed. Isn't the best food made fresh? Oh, but we offer people our services. Nobody knows it, but we're doing our service the exact same way we did it last year. Nobody knows it, but I'm preaching what I preached three years ago, and there's a whole bunch of new people, and they won't know the difference. I don't have to study this week. I don't have to pray. I don't have to seek God. I don't have to know him for myself. I can just regurgitate and repackage something that's stale, dead, and dry. But it's not a lily pad. It's a launching pad. I mean, you can feel the tension. People come in and, y'all, they grab their coffee like, this is going to save me. I mean, you see them. If, if they could stick it in their pocket, they would. I mean, it's like they go down and then they go, they've got to find a chair. This is my assigned seat. This is my spot. I'm, I'm a, is worship over yet? And the countdown starts. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Say it with me. Six, five, four, three, two, one. And people start getting launched and they start getting sent and they start getting healed and they start encountering Jesus. They don't need another service. They need our Lord and Savior. They don't need another show. They need the real deal. Can you hang with me with, for two more minutes? Is this okay?
God, please build Kentucky Kingdom. I'm jealous for y'all. I'm excited for y'all. But there's some things that need to go. There's some things that need to change. Do I think having an order of service is bad? No, I don't. But if you're unwilling to yield the order of service, here's one of the main reasons why the Holy Spirit doesn't actually have preeminence in our services. It starts with this. Our need to preach. So the Lord challenged me on this. This past Sunday at our Father's house, December 31st, the presence of, the God, of God fills our meeting. But there's a war and there's a tension. And those of you that have stewarded services, you know there's like a tipping point. Like, ah, oh, we're, we're getting somewhere, but you know what? It's getting late. We got to move on. People are here for week three of the cool sermon series that we put out there. And if we don't preach it, they'll be disappointed. No, maybe what they need is the anointing, not just more words. Maybe what they need to see is what in the world? I ain't never been to anything like that, but I knew God was there. So I got up about 11 o'clock and I said, hey, I was going to teach on ministering to the Lord, but we're just going to minister to the Lord. Because a demonstration is greater than a teaching. We are drunk on sermons. You can go on YouTube and you can listen to as many sermons as you want. But you cannot get the special, sacred, corporate presence of God when we gather together and we assemble for battle and we get in position and we worship and we sing and we pray and we honor Him. So worship and preaching, which one's not in heaven? Some of y'all are just, you're just finally starting to track with me. Just a little bit. Like, whoa, okay. No, why? Because the culture of the church says that worship is to soften your heart so that you can hear the word of God. Worship is not a prelude to your preaching. Worship is an end in and of itself. They're not waiting for somebody to preach in heaven. They're worshiping because they can see him. And last time I checked, we pray on earth as it is in heaven. We need a revival of worship and a restoration of the tabernacle of David in the earth today. You know, one of my dreams, and I pray that God allows me to do this in my lifetime. I want to host a conference called Ministering to the Lord, where all we do is have worship leaders and musicians and singers, and there's no preaching plan, and we get in the presence of God, and we worship, and we steward the presence of God, and there's exhortations or altar time or ministry, or there's just host the Holy Ghost. We're here for Him. And we just have three straight nights or three straight days of the presence and power of God. I mean, we started last night and it wasn't even seven o'clock. Why? If it was 645 and we said, you know what? Prayer's over. Yo, we would have been in sin, would we not? If you were here last night, you know. No, 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 no. Whatever 645, I don't mean anything to God. He's here. Oh, we need to keep praying. We need to keep seeking. But I find that we're just uncomfortable when it gets a little quiet because we've all been programmed to expect a show. 
Don't stand there and think, oh, what's next? God's next. He wants his church back. He wants to be the reason why we gather. Jesus, we are here for you. And we don't just mean it in word. We actually gather and we prepare to yield at any cost, at any moment. So you know what drug addicts need? They don't need something cute. They don't need something polished. Y'all, speaking in tongues and prophecy and healing isn't weird. Snorting cocaine off the bathroom floor of a gas station is weird. Drugs are weird. Alcohol's weird. Having sex before marriage is weird. The Holy Ghost is our inheritance. This is why we're here. To know Jesus. To encounter Him. To seek His face and experience His goodness. Would you stand to your feet? I confess that I have no idea what time it is. Or what, 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 whatever. But I think it's kind of the point, wouldn't you say? Could I have uh, Colton and uh, Aaron, if that's okay? Would you guys come up? No, you're ready, bro. You're ready. God's been dealing with you so that you can minister in this moment like you've always wanted to. I think that if just for a few moments we could lock eyes with him we've been talking a lot about him but let's talk to him us all across this room, just close your eyes with me. Just begin to pray. Just begin to lift your voice. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Build yourself up on your most holy faith. God, release the roar in Kentucky. Build your kingdom in Kentucky. Keep praying with me. If you need to go or you're disinterested, God bless you. We love you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. But this is about Jesus right now. These altars are open. If you want to come and worship the Lord and minister to Him, you can do that in your seat as well. But there's freedom right now in the Holy Ghost. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. God's breaking down tradition. He's smashing boxes of religion. Keep praying in the Holy Ghost. You don't need a corporate interpretation. This is between you and God right now. We're getting connected with a God who loves us, who sees us, who knows us. Are you hungry for the Lord? What could God do on January 2nd of 2024 with a hungry and a sold out people? With a people willing to let go of what we've built in our own strength, of what we've planned in our own mind to just say, oh God, come and have your way. 
God, come and have your way. Lord, we repent for leading your church when you want to lead your church. God, we repent for standing in your way when you want to do more with us and more with our churches.
Let's tell God how worthy he is tonight. Worthy, worthy, worthy. 
The Holy Spirit is opening some of your eyes for the very first time. Worship flows naturally when we can see Jesus. Jesus, you're beautiful. Lord, you are wonderful. God, there is no one like you. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Jesus, you are worthy. You feel the presence of the Lord right now. If there's anything in your life that needs to shift, I want you to confess it to the Lord right now. Could be the smallest thing, could be something big. Whatever needs to shift in your life, I want you to say it out loud. You don't have to say it loud enough so somebody else can hear. But say it out loud right now. God, I need this to shift. This needs to change. This needs to go. I want to cooperate with you. I want to be in agreement with you. I desire not to quench you, Holy Spirit. To grieve you, Holy Spirit. To resist you, Holy Spirit. I don't want to lie to you. I want to receive you. Worship you. I want to be baptized in you. God, I pray for fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit right now. Is there anybody here that's been seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Anybody here that you would say, I've been searching, I've been seeking, I I want a prayer language with which to pray. Is that anybody here? Would you raise your hand? A few of us. Raise your hand high. I want to ask if you're around somebody with their hand up. There's a few here, here. One back here, some over here. If you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, raise your hand high. We're just going to gather around you. This is the priesthood of the believer. If you're here and you're a Christian and you're born again, I want you to gather around somebody with their hands up. If you need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, just begin to pray and say, God, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them. Loose their tongue that they would be able to pray that they might pray in the Spirit and sing with the Spirit. This is a holy moment and a precious moment. Pray in the Holy Ghost with me, brothers and sisters. We're just hosting the presence of God. We really don't have anywhere better to be. We don't have anything else to do. We ask for baptisms in the Holy Spirit right now. Jesus, you're the baptizer. Baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit. If you hear those syllables in your head, just begin to say them. It doesn't have to make sense to you. That's kind of the whole point. Just begin to pray. 
Begin to move your lips and move your tongue and allow God to fill you with a heavenly language. Doesn't matter what somebody else sounds like or says, you just pray. Pray in faith. God's a good giver of all good things. He withholds no good things from those who walk uprightly. God, would you baptize us in the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, if you know being evil, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit? God, give us the Holy Spirit. Father, give us Holy Spirit. Fresh baptisms, fresh fire, fresh wind, fresh fire all across this room. Fresh wind and fresh fire. Come on, receive it from the Lord right now. He's here. Fresh wind and fresh fire. Discouragement go in Jesus' name. Depression break in Jesus' name. Addiction, we bind you now in Jesus' name. The chain breaker is here. If y'all got anything, go for it. We're just having fun. Just ask the Lord, God, how can I obey you right now? There may be someone you need to pray for. There may be a word of prophecy that God's dropped in your spirit. Now's your chance. Be the body of Christ. You don't need permission to obey the Lord. Religion makes you feel like you need man's permission to obey God. You just obey God. Give that word of prophecy. Pray for healing. If you're sick in your body, Come on, the Lord is here. And when He's here, everything changes. If you need to forgive somebody, you need to text them, you need to call them on the phone this afternoon and repent to them. Don't leave here with bitterness. Don't leave here with anger or resentment. Unforgiveness isn't worth it. It'll kill you. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give us this day our daily bread. We forgive our debtors, even as you've forgiven us. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Come on, keep praying with me. Don't lose steam now. We didn't come all this way to get distracted. The text message really can wait. Just a few more moments. Somebody's breakthrough is happening right now. Lives are changing right now. Secret sin is being revealed and people are being set free right now in Jesus' name. Light is piercing the darkness. 
God, we break regret off of this people right now. We forget what lies behind and we press on forward towards the upward call of God. There's no day like today. There's no moment like right now to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. Give him your life. Hold nothing back. All of you for all of him. Just pray this with me. If you're still here, say, God, I surrender. God, I surrender. Have all of me. I hold nothing back. I want nothing but you. Grant me the grace to seek your face. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord some praise? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Oh, come on. Come on. That sounds like a golf clap. That sounds like the 13th hole at the country club. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. King of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, the bread of life and Prince of peace, the one who holds the seven stars in his hands. Hallelujah. Worthy is the Lord. Worthy is King Jesus. There is a really good book. I've got like one or two more things. I'm just going to obey the Lord. So I leave you with some tools. There's a really good book. It's a short little pamphlet. It's by Virgil Stokes. It's called, Is There an Interpreter in the House? Like nobody's heard of it, but it would be a great book for everybody to read, especially pastors and leaders. I hope Virgil's not listening, but it's the worst cover I've ever seen. It's terrible. It looks like an old game of Clue. But what's in it is gold. Buy the book. Read the book. It'll stir something in you. And here's one of the last things, okay? I need everybody to listen to me just for a few more moments. If you are a part of a church where you feel like maybe there's quenching or grieving of the Holy Spirit going on, where you feel like God wants to move, but maybe your leadership doesn't get it, here's what you don't need to do. You don't need to go send them this sermon and say, hey, you need to listen to this. You don't need to become the peanut gallery. Your pastors and leaders don't need another critic and a naysayer. They need an encourager. They need a friend. And they need a prayer warrior. So begin to pray that God would move in your church in such a way that he would interrupt whatever's been pre-planned and programmed and that God would have his way. And whatever you do, you make sure that you're all in and you're not wanting someone else to be all in for you. This isn't ammunition. This isn't an invitation to get critical and angry. This is from the heart of God calling us into deeper waters. Amen. Thank you. I love you. Was this fun or what? Man, I'm so grateful. Thank you for allowing me to share. It's a great, one of the great honors of my life to be able to be here and share with you all. I'm done.
He's not done. So if you need to go, God bless you. If the Lord is still ministering to you, Colton, are you okay just to continue to play? Just continue to minister to the Lord here. If you need to, need to go, be released. Some of you may not leave before the session tonight. Prayer starts at 6.15. Well, prayer's right now. It's 4.15. You can pray at 5.15. But we're going to gather corporately at 6.15. We're going to pray. We're going to seek His face. I just don't want to be guilty. I don't want to have blood on my hands for quenching the Lord after I preached about not quenching Him, okay? So it'd be a good idea just to let this one roll out. You guys do your thing. Be the minstrels that God's called you to be.